Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello and welcome to Awesome Etiquette. You know, today we're going to be talking about how to handle hurtful gossip, when it's okay for your wedding to just be your wedding. I love it because we also have a really great question about the issues of not drinking and how to protect your fizzy water at a BYOB party. And I'm really excited because our postscript delves deep into some roommate issues that, believe it or not, also deal with being tortured with Celine Dion music. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I am Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Hey, cuz, we're both back. We are indeed. (laughs) Welcome. And I'm back from Pittsburgh. And I'm back from Nashville. Two really fun cities. No kidding. (laughs) I love Pittsburgh. No joke. (laughs) You laugh, but it's no joke. It's one of my favorite cities. My friend Jenny lives there. I totally get it. But you had a really cool experience down there. I did. I had um, an event that I got to do with my mother. It was a family event for the Young Presidents Organization of Pittsburgh. And they were incredible hosts. I can't even tell you. It was um, one of those special events where I'm really glad I get to do what I do for all kinds of reasons. One, I really enjoyed teaching with my mother. It was nice to to travel with her and do an event with her. But um, we also were hosted by a really incredible group of people. I want to take an extra moment to thank Patrick and thank Tom. If they happen to be listening to the show, they were amazing hosts. They went out of their way to do things like take us out to dinner. But Tom also got up. And remember, this is spring forward weekend. Right. We're all a little tired. Our host got up early and he took me out to Falling Water, which is the Frank Lloyd Wright house that's outside of Pittsburgh. The famous that's his one. sort of signature home. Waterfall running through it, right? Something Pretty like much. That. Yeah. It, it's absolutely incredible. It's worth a Google. Falling Water. And um, it's a place that I've wanted to go for years and years and years. And he made it happen. Oh, and very cool. It was such a treat. Did you know, actually, that Frank Lloyd Wright has been quoted as saying that he was influenced by Bruce Price and Bruce Price? for you out there listening, is Emily's father. Bruce was actually a pretty renowned architect. He designed the Frontenac in Quebec. He designed the American Surety Building in Lower Manhattan, and he also designed the Summer Palace for the Emperor of Japan. I did know that. In fact, that was how the discussion of architecture came up. Came up, up, and it's how you wound up getting to go see the thing. That's so cool. Absolutely. Once again, thank you to YPO Pittsburgh. Um, It really was an incredible weekend. Well, my my trip did not include that, but I I was in Nashville. We had... um, 
the CDC released its numbers the other week, and it turns out that flu is kind of hitting its peak, and it's widespread right now in, in most states and regional and other states. So it's at a higher level than just in general. A and late it's, season. It's a late season push. So I was down in Nashville doing a satellite media tour and just helping uh, helping out to talk about flu etiquette and how we can best not be spreaders of the flu, even this late in the season. And when I heard you talking about going to Nashville, I started to picture the bridge into the city and totally. the blues bars and the music town. And I wasn't there long enough to do much music listening, which yeah. killed me because I love I love it. But it, it immediately became a place that I wanted to make sure I got back to for a, a vacation trip or some kind of a, a musical exploration trip. <laughs> Indeed, but it's good to be back and good to be back with you and with everyone out there. I know. I'm I'm very happy for a couple of weeks at home where we're going to be able to kind of delve into everything. Speaking of delving in, let's get to some questions. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question today talks about stopping gossip before it starts and becomes nasty. All right. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a 21-year-old college student. I used to live in an apartment last year with five girls, and four of us got extremely close. I sense this is going to be about the one that didn't. (laughs) One of the girls went to study abroad for all of last semester, and while she was away, us three that remained got to talking about things from the year before and each slowly discovered that a broad girl had said many mean things about each one of us to the others. She had talked about being paranoid, one of us wanted to study abroad with her, that she considered one of us extremely boring, and she had even said that she didn't want to continue her friendship with us when she got back. Although we were all confused and felt it was wrong, we continued to tell each other the things she said. I ended up telling the one girl she was closest with about how she had said terrible things about something she was passionate about. This made her very angry, and after much thought, she decided she no longer wanted to continue her friendship with a broad girl. I, however, don't know where I stand in this situation. I want to be friends with her, but not as close as we had been before. How do I go about being friends with someone who isn't really an honest and good friend? I have a good time when I'm with her, but when she gets to talking about other people and asking me about other people, it gets tricky. Do you have any suggestions or ideas of ways that I could handle this? Is the friendship even worth keeping at all? All the best, D. Oh, this is so classic. Like, this is kind of classic, this is D. Like, yeah. I, I had a couple of thoughts right off the bat I when say, I heard this. I, yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear. <laughs> the, the first thing I wanted to say is that nobody's perfect. Nobody. That if any of us was a perfect friend, we would all have many more friends. And <laughs> it's really important to treat your friends well. And this is a good reminder of, of why it's so important. There's also an old expression that says people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And I want to think about that and think about the nobody's perfect concept because here you've got a situation where you and the three that are or two that are still in the states are all talking about someone who's away and you're talking discovering about the the fact that she talked about you when you were away and how hurtful that was um so you're kind of doing the thing that like i mean that's essentially what's happening exactly and it shows how easy it is to fall into that trap and i Mm -hmm. think it's a really good reminder for all of us that that it's important to remember some basic standards to to hold yourself to in any friendship and i think that you'd be in really good shape 
talking with your friend about how you've been thinking about those standards. I'm talking about the friend who's away when she returns. Yeah. Um, if the relationship isn't so damaged that it's impossible to salvage it. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you had all been very close before she left. So I'm, I'm thinking there might be something there that's worth trying to salvage and worth doing some work on. That you might want to talk to her about what had happened when she was away and how you really care about your friendship and that you want to make it a better friendship. And If you do, because the ending question is about do we even bother? Again, and I think you, I a think little, it's worth trying. And it, a little you, self-reflection of, hey, she's not the only person doing this. I think you're so a right about girl, that. by exactly. the way, is who I mean by she. And I think it's important to acknowledge that self-reflection as part of it. Yeah. So here's an etiquette standard that okay. I would share as a place to jump off from maybe moving forward. Sort That's of maybe it. say, let bygones be bygones. We're going to forget about the past. Let everyone get back together again. And this would be the new standard. We're going to only say things to each other that we could be comfortable saying when someone else is there or is present. And that is a high standard to hold yourself to. But you might want to know that as your rule so that you really understand when you're breaking your rule and you're aware of it when it's happening. Is that realistic among, like, college friends? I mean, I don't know. I feel like in friendships you do wind up talking about each other. And not ne- I don't think it necessarily has to be bad. I like the integrity mm-hmm. of where you're coming from. First of all, I want to say exactly. that. Like the integrity is on a high level. But is it a realistic expectation to say we're only ever going to say positive things or things that we're willing to say directly to the person? I like I like the second half of it. I just, no, and, and I like your, your acknowledgement that that's hard. a high standard. That's really hard. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons it's worth starting off this answer saying nobody's perfect. Yeah. And let's remember that. Let's not hold anybody so accountable that we would never forgive them if they said something about us somewhere yeah. else that – They might have even just said with a different tone than they would have said if they were talking about it with us. So this whole question brings up something for me that I I, I really want my cousin Dan's opinion on. And that's that there's some phrase out there that's like other people's opinions of you are none of your business or, you know, it's none of your business what people say when they don't say it to your face. And I'm curious about what our, our writer admits that she she told these other girls nasty things that a broad girl had said. Is it really her place to be doing that? Like, I don't know. I I look at my friends, and I, I have a great group of girlfriends, but occasionally things happen between them, and people will want to vent, or they'll say, that really bothered me, or this yeah. part of this person annoys me. But they don't necessarily bring it to the person because— the venting allowed them to let go of it, and then they can just focus on the positive aspects of the friendship and realize that was just a moment of annoyance that wasn't worth getting bent out of shape about. Do we think that D has kind of broken that part of a friendship a little bit? Maybe a little bit. Sometimes your, your job is to listen, and it's to be a good sounding board, and your job isn't necessarily to relay that message well, and like, to I don't know about else. you, but not every thought I have is permanent. I mean, I can be mad That's at you. That's another so, great like, reminder. Think about it. There are times Dan and I annoy each other sometimes. It's <laughs> no, really true. it does not happen. No, it is, man. <laughs> Never. And it... it <laughs> And I, but I don't hold on to that stuff. And sometimes getting to talk to someone else about it, it's like a it makes it easier, it makes to, it let easier it to let it go. And it, but it's not really your business that I'm doing that. It's your business if I need to talk to you about it, right? And Maybe a, not. Maybe that's crazy. Maybe that's not okay. Maybe it's not honest. Let's think about the three. The three. Principles. I think it's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And okay. I think it's it's good to keep in mind in both ways. One that if you're someone who's hearing that kind of venting, it's good to remember that and keep it in context. 
context. Okay. I think it's also good if you're someone who falls prey to that often, that if you find yourself oh, doing meaning this. Meaning a broad girl who, t- who apparently seems to vent about her friends a lot. But by the way, I, I'm not condoning a broad girl's behavior. No. I don't think it's very nice no. to say these things about people. I, exactly. It yeah. sounds like there's a, a lesson that could be learned in this entire social circle. Yeah. And it's a little bit why sort of my, my parting advice is think about the standard you want to hold yourself to, share it, and then hold yourself to it. To it. Well, in that vein, I would love to offer Dee a suggestion for the very last question she had was, what do I do in this? Well, the last question was, is this friendship worth it? And I think most friendships are worth it. But the question she asked is, what about when she starts talking bad about someone? And that's where I would cut her off right in the moment. And I would say, a broad girl, or let's give her a different name, Casey, I understand that you may feel this way about Becca, but it makes me really uncomfortable to hear you vent about it. And I think if if this is how strongly you feel, you should really talk to Becca about that. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved ones' stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. And it just it gives you a wall. It gives you a place to put up a boundary and say, this is not the kind of conversation I want to be having without the person that we're having it about present. So I think it's also important to acknowledge here that this might be a situation where you've got three friends that have discovered some behavior that's really egregious, that's really terrible. It's really bad. And and might even be bordering on abusive or be the type of manipulative behavior that can poison friend circles, social groups – businesses, work relationships. And if that's really what's going on, I think it's appropriate to take action that you feel is necessary to protect yourself. And if you're not sure if that's going on yet, it might be worth getting an outside perspective 
talking to someone else, say, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I've heard. And this is something we're going to talk about a little later in the show, but particularly in the college environment, many schools have resources like counseling centers or counselors that are available to students, and oftentimes at no charge. Um, I think that's important to keep in mind also. You know, this isn't just good advice for the social circle of, of roommates that are dealing with it, but in the workplace, when, when these girls get out of college and move on to the workplace, that is an incredibly important thing to be able to master and do without alienating the person you're, you're talking to because it allows you to have integrity in the workplace. Dee, we really hope that you and your group of friends are able to get back on track with each other and start a, a dynamic in your friendship that allows you to both talk about what frustrates you about each other, but at the same time be supportive and good listeners and know how to manage your friendship. Because it does get tight when you all live together, and it can be hard, and there is frustration that needs to be let out in certain ways. But hopefully you'll you'll be able to find ways to do that constructively and know how to put up barriers when it hits the nasty side. Our next question has to do with ordering and sharing food family style. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, last night my husband and I had dinner out with four other adults and a child at a tapas restaurant where most plates are small and are meant for sharing. Other entrees were large, but served family style. The original plan was to split the cost three ways. We ordered first, selecting a few plates that we knew we would enjoy and that others had mentioned they were considering. I was assuming that the others would do the same and maybe duplicate some plates to make sure there was enough to go around. Only one other couple ordered a small plate and a large plate of an item everyone agreed upon. As it turned out, as food was passed around, there was only enough for a single bite of each plate option per person. My dilemma was that I didn't want to dominate the ordering choices and yet wanted to make sure that there was something in the mix my husband and I would enjoy. What is the proper etiquette in a situation like this? Maybe we should have gotten more direction from the server. Thanks in advance. Valerie. Valerie, I think immediately the thing that jumps out to me with your question is the word assume. And that's something that the more we can take assume out of things, the more we're able to actually know what's going to happen in a situation. And so when it comes to these group dinners, especially at a tapas-like restaurant or a, or a restaurant that encourages family-style eating where you're sharing multiple plates among the entire table, the best thing to do, especially if nobody has done it, is to take the lead and actually suggest a way to order so that all the diners are on the same page and, and you know what's going to happen. Being the leader of the group is always okay, and it's always okay to say, you know, that sounds really good. I bet everybody's going to want more than just a, a spoonful or more than just a bite of that. Let's order a couple dishes of that. Or the other way that it yeah. sometimes goes where you get way too much food. Sometimes a server can help you dial it back. Right, also. exactly, exactly. Keep you from ordering more than you actually need. I like your suggestion to discuss it with no one being the particular host it's important that you really share that role and that, that everybody chip in, that if you haven't heard from everybody, that yeah. someone sort of asks and tries to tease that out from Well, and not the just like it sounds like Valerie and her, her dining partners talked about what they wanted, but to where they didn't take it to was the next step of how much should we be getting of each of these things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you have to take it to. You kind of have to get specific and say, okay, so wait, what are we going to do to make sure everybody gets what they want and need, you know? And that's a really easy way to just invite the question, invite the direction. And if it hasn't happened, look up at the server and say, if we're all going to be sharing these, what's the best way to handle this? Or how much should we be ordering? And that'll help direct placing the actual order. 
All that being true, an ounce of preparation being so much better than a pound of cure, there's something that I found a little useful recently while traveling with my wife and my parents places where we were ordering off menus that were often unfamiliar. And sometimes after the order was made, I would just check with everybody and be sure that everybody was happy with what they ordered, particularly if I thought there was a problem like our questioner here noticed that knowing that tapas plates are a little small and seeing that you didn't get enough orders at the table, if you've got a concern, if you notice something, I think it's important to say something or just check in with people and be sure that everybody got what they wanted. Valerie, we hope that helps. Definitely in the future, don't be shy. Speak up and say something and definitely take advantage of that server. Use that person to your full advantage because they're really there to help you get this right. Our next question is titled, It's Our Wedding. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My fiancé and I are getting married this spring and have decided we'd much rather get married by a judge and take a vacation than have a wedding and reception. The other day over dinner with friends, we shared this news and our friend became very upset. She said it was selfish that we weren't having a celebration. My future sister-in-law is somewhat upset because she doesn't get to see her only brother get married. Are we being selfish? We have a lot of big things going on this year, moving internationally on our own dime being one of them. And the thought of spending $30,000 on a wedding isn't in the budget, nor do I feel I need to justify that to people. In the end, our upset friend insisted on us at least having gift registry for the people that want to give us something. After all of this, even the thought of a registry is rather unappealing to me. It's our day. Can't we do what we want? Thanks, Nick. Oh, Nick, I, I sympathize having been tempted to have a Justice of the Peace wedding myself. <laughs> and if you're not having a wedding where traditional invitations are being sent, you definitely don't want to set up a registry. That's going to appear a little strange. Well, it's going to look like a grab for gifts. Like, oh, we're not having a wedding, but here, you can buy us this. Exactly. You want to be careful about creating that impression. As far as the idea that it's your wedding and you get to make the choice, that's absolutely right. But it's also true that a lot of people are going to feel like it's our wedding also. And that's your immediate family and sometimes your really close friends. So I think that it's really worth thinking ahead of time about how you're going to talk about this with other people. I appreciate the idea that for you, some of the decision making has to do with cost and expense and just the practicality of the situation. At the same time, I also appreciate your sentiment that you don't necessarily want to share that with people. And I think that's why. Also, you don't want to focus this particular discussion on money. You want to keep it simple. You want to keep it to the idea that this is what you've decided really works for you. Be really firm and really clear about that, but also be sure you really communicate to people that you care about them, that you realize that this is a big deal in many people's lives, not just you and your future wives, but your families and your friends also. And maybe think about a way that you can include those people because they're going to want to participate and they're going to want to share this special moment with you in some way. They're going to want to give you a gift. They're going to want to, and th the same way this person says, please put up a registry to something so I can, I can somehow feel like I'm involved. And having just a little bit of preparation or thought about how you're going to do that ahead of time, and there's all kinds of ways you might do it, I think is really worthwhile. I also do not blame them for not setting up a registry. First of all, it would be, in my eyes, really tacky etiquette. But I also really think they shouldn't because they're moving internationally. Who wants to add more? things to have to pack like yeah. 
It's just that's a headache. I thought of a lot of snappy retorts to when people say this, you know, but none of them none of them would result in the other person feeling good afterwards. And I think that when people really get after you with this, it's okay to say, you know, I really understand that you're disappointed and I appreciate that because it shows how supportive you are of us. And we're very grateful for that. But we are really excited and happy and sure of our decision and leave it at that. And that's it. And, you know, they can't really tell you how to live your life. They can be upset about it and you can acknowledge that they're upset, but let it go after that. A lot of people choose to have receptions or some sort of event or party that's not a wedding where there isn't a wedding ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, Just remember in your own mind that this isn't a wedding Mm -hmm. and that you don't want to invite people as if it is a wedding. Correct. I.e. you don't want that gift registry. Right. Congratulations, Nick. This is such an exciting time in life, and Lizzie and I are so excited for you. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled, Late to Class No More. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I'm in grad school, and in order to balance work and school, I have back-to-back classes scheduled some nights. One class in particular goes over time every single class. Not only do I miss my short five-minute breather between the classes, but I often arrive late and flustered into the next class. I hate being late and pride myself on my punctuality. I have notified the professor that I have class immediately afterwards and even go so far as to pack up my stuff when we meet the five-minute overtime mark, which feels rude, but I'm desperate. This hasn't made any difference, and I have even left the class while it was still going on, when I realized I was going to be at least five to ten minutes late for my next class. I feel this is definitely damaging the professor's impression of me and of my commitment to the class, which I actually really enjoy. What should I do? Thanks, and keep up the good work, Anna. Anna, first I would tell you, you know, don't feel guilty about having to leave. Professors are supposed to understand the schedules around their classes, and they're really supposed to respect start and end times of classes. I'm a little upset for you that you've explained the situation to the professor and he or she hasn't accommodated and and tried to really make sure this class ends on time. But that being said, you've already expressed this to them. So when they see you packing up, your professor shouldn't be getting annoyed with you. He or she should be understanding that this is the scenario that's been set up. I do think you need to to cover yourself. And what I would do is talk to one of your classmates about making sure you get the notes from the last five to ten minutes of class because I, I don't want you to be missing out on anything. And that's just a good way to cover yourself since clearly this professor is not going to stop. I would also take the time to go back to your professor and say, I've noticed that this hasn't changed and I totally understand that. I just I have to leave and I really want to make sure that you aren't disrupted or a 
upset by my leaving. I just don't have a choice in the matter. I have to be there for my next lecture or my next class. And I think it's important that your professor really understand that this is not about you ditching out somehow. If it escalates further and you, you either are really getting word from the professor that he or she is upset about this, you need to take it to the dean of whatever school that is because that professor needs to be held accountable for the fact that they're putting you in this situation. And I do think that that is something that if you've tried dealing with it with the professor, it's then okay to take it to the next authority figure and and try to work on it and make sure that it's not something that is going to affect your grade. I think that's really smart. Dan and I, we had actually talked about this question ahead of time, and you had mentioned not getting flustered, but instead be efficient. Just expect that you're not going to have any time between those two classes at all. Don't plan on it. Don't hope for it. That way you're not expecting it and you can just get to the next class ASAP. But it's this is a this is a, a time management thing and you need to protect your time and your schedule. And you are not rude by packing up and leaving when you absolutely have to, especially because you've let your professor know about this ahead of time. And hopefully this gets better. I really hope this changes for you so that this isn't a stressful situation. But if it doesn't, at least you, you have some some plans in your back pocket to feel confident about. This next question is about fizzy frustrations. And it comes from my favorite place. Where could that be? <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I moved to New Orleans. Who dat? About a year ago and have made many, many wonderful friends. People in New Orleans are very social and house parties and festive gatherings are incredibly frequent. The one thing that sets me apart from my friends is I do not drink alcohol. When my friends have social gatherings, almost none of them provide anything to drink besides alcohol and tap water. For this reason, I started bringing a few bottles of Pellegrino to drink and share at these events. The problem is, I have found my Pellegrino can sometimes be too big of a hit, and I don't get to consume more than a glass of what I've brought. In an attempt to avoid any awkwardness, I have resorted to bringing more and more along, but I reached my max at Thanksgiving when I brought two bottles of wine for the host and the party and five bottles of Pellegrino to drink and share. This was a party for nine people, and I found before dinner was even served that my Pellegrino was on the last bottle. I don't want to label one bottle for myself or stash one aside. I feel like that would make things uncomfortable. But the Pellegrino does provide a sometimes important buffer between myself and new people who are less comfortable with my not drinking. While it is more fun to have something bubbly, the big problem with the tap water is it seems to invite direct questions about if I drink or not from people who are then awkward and visibly put off by my answer. Any advice for what to do when the host doesn't provide non-alcoholic beverages but the ones you bring are consumed before you can get any? I feel like the answer is no, but is there any way to politely hint to someone to save you some since you can't have anything else? Thanks for any advice and for the wonderful podcast, Mia. Mia, I totally feel for you on this. I spent two and a half years completely sober, and people do get uncomfortable about you not drinking. And you as the person not drinking, I found it was very quickly very easy for me to feel comfortable about being around people who were drinking. And I was so shocked at even some of my closest friends who would be like, could you just have a glass of wine? And you're like, excuse me. 
I'm not drinking right now. Like, Please. What? Yeah, exactly. Give me a break. So I, I feel you on that. But I also really want to encourage you. I know you said that you don't feel comfortable setting one aside for yourself or labeling it with your name on it. But I want to encourage you to be confident in doing that. Talk to your host and say, hey, I'm happy for these to be for everyone in my contribution to the party. But I just want to make sure I save one for myself in the fridge because I find otherwise it disappears and then I have nothing to drink. And it's fine to explain this to people. It's fine. First of all, they're probably thrilled that you're bringing this nice fizzy water to their party. I mean, like, Pellegrino is pretty great, right? Okay, it's absolutely yummy. And you might be right on the verge of starting a new trend in your town. Maybe. (laughs) It's New Orleans. I mean. (laughs) Not such a new trend either. Bring some good humor. Just mention it in in that light spirit that Lizzie is so good at. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important because I see you doing everything right from a guest perspective. And I just really want you to feel confident that you can lay claim to a bottle or two of what you bring. (laughs) And I just want to jump in also and tell you that I actually reached this exact same accommodation. I was spending a summer in Paris in my early 20s, and I didn't drink at the time, and my host did. And every night she would have a chilled glass of white wine, and I would often sit with her in our very hot walk-up apartment Mm -hmm. and have a glass of cold Pellegrino. Instead, yeah. And it was such a delicious um, little tradition that developed between the two of us, her with her chilled glass of white and, and me with my sparkling water. I also think that if you wanted to bring this up casually, sometimes when I'm with a group of friends and we're not in the situation, so it's not the party that's being hosted, but maybe we're all out at brunch, you can – it's funny, but you can bring up conversations about like BYOB, for instance, and say how you as someone who doesn't drink, you know, this is the dilemma that you run into. And so, you know, it's like you bring up the conversation of, oh, man, have you guys ever noticed this with BYOB? Like you bring this great bottle of bourbon or something like that. The next thing you know, you haven't even had a glass of it and the thing's gone. Like, what the heck do you do in that situation? And you let other people tell their stories and then you come up and say, you know, this actually happens to me even with the Pellegrino. And it's a way to just clue people in very subtly, very like, you know, not in the moment or anything like that. But sometimes it can help. And someone might be at that party and say, oh, remember to put that bottle aside for Mia. She, you know, we got to make sure she has something to drink. You know, something else to remember about this is that if you're at the party and you're someone who does drink and you notice somebody not drinking, you really want to remember that that can escalate from a tier one safe conversation to a tier three really personal conversation very quickly. Person could be pregnant and not sharing the news yet. Person could have, you know, be in recovery, having just started or been there for years and you don't know. And there are a lot. It could be health. It could be moral. It could be all kinds of religious. And all of a sudden it becomes something very personal. So if you do see someone with just that glass of Pellegrino, don't question them about it. Or even if they just have a glass of flat water, it's not your business. And if they're happy to share, that's great. I really, really appreciate when people who aren't drinking are able to share why, especially if it is a recovery thing, because you just never know who you might encourage or or inspire on the other side of it. But just remember that those religious or, you know, health or or personal or pregnancy reasons might be ones that people don't want to talk about. And it's really important to respect that privacy and not question it or make the other person feel uncomfortable because they aren't drinking. We hope that you have a blast down in New Orleans. I truly hope that this situation gets a little bit easier for you. And party on. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. But you already know a great deal. And you can learn still more by watching Mother, Dad, and other people who have good manners. 
As always, thank you so much for your questions. There wouldn't be a show without you. You can send us more questions or updates or comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a message at 802-866-0860. Or you can reach us on Twitter. Use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know that you want it on the show. I don't want to It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dig a little bit deeper into a particular piece of etiquette. This week, we got a really interesting email response from a listener, and Hans, our producer, got a chance to talk with her a little bit about her question. Hi, Hans. Hey, Lizzie. Hey, Dan. So, I did an interview with Ashley. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Ashley, and I'm calling from Fort Myers, Florida. And Ashley's been a listener for a long time, but she's never contacted the show. But she was listening to a recent episode, episode 76, and she heard the advice that you guys gave to Catherine, who is a young woman who wrote in saying that she was having trouble with her first college roommate. There was things like leaving the light on all night so she couldn't sleep and having issues with the shower and generally getting accustomed to having a roommate when they maybe hadn't had one before. And so here's part of that question. Where do I draw the line between making my new roommate feel comfortable while also maintaining my comfort in this shared living space? Is it unreasonable to ask that she buy a desk light so that she can keep studying late at night without the overhead light on? How would I go about having a second conversation about new systems that clearly need to be implemented? And your advice was basically to talk it out. One thing that I think is awesome about the situation that you're in is that when your roommate moved in, she asked about systems for the house. You might not have known what to say then, like you said, but this gives you a chance to say, okay, now that there are four of us living in this place together, we need to bring up some household rules or or establish some household systems, even use her language. And it's perfectly okay to call a meeting like that and to say it's time that we figure this out. So Ashley heard this And she had such a strong reaction to it that she actually stopped the episode right then and there, listening to that before it was over, sat down on her computer and wrote us an email. The thing that struck me is that the one thing that was not mentioned was that there might be a need to at some point escalate it to a higher level of authority if the sort of direct approach wasn't effective. That particularly resonated with me because in my own life, The choice to not escalate it to a higher level of appropriate authority actually had a direct impact on my academic situation and my personal life really had an impact on my quality of life. 16 years ago, Ashley was a junior at Lee University, which is a four-year university in Cleveland, Tennessee. And um, I was living in an apartment-style dorm situation. I had one roommate, and then uh, we had two additional suite mates that lived with us in the apartment. It was her first apartment. And even though it was still dorm housing, it was also her first real taste of independent living. So there were two bedrooms, uh, there was a common space, and a kitchen. So students at Lee, they could all choose their roommates that they wanted to live with. But that semester, Ashley was assigned a roommate. I didn't know her personally prior to living with her that semester. And I was an English major who had primarily English major, history major, and music major friends. And she was a biochem major with primarily uh, friends who were in the math and science departments. And so we had 
almost no compatibility in any area at all. But she's got to give it a go. So Ashley arrives for the semester ready to meet her new roommate. But it wasn't good. The roommate had already arranged the room without asking Ashley what she would prefer. So Ashley's desk was blocked and completely unusable. And the roommate had put a lot of her things everywhere, so there was no space for Ashley to put her things. She had decorated the entire room with half Winnie the Pooh and half Ansel Adams. So to begin with, we sort of started on a strange note because she was not very communicative in the first place. And then the decor was really strange and she did not seem to realize that she should give any kind of space to her roommate or have any consideration of that. I kept trying to approach changes with her at different times, uh, but she just was really not willing to compromise on anything. She was very much like, this is how I want it and this is how it has to stay. And this is Ashley's first adult living situation. At that time in my life, I think I probably was not as comfortable confronting people with issues like this. I don't think I had the vocabulary or the words to use. I'm not sure I really knew how to navigate that well. But she tried. She would use things like her magic words, like please and thank you. She would try when you I feel statements. So when you do this, then I feel this. And she would try to give reasons uh, that she was making these requests. So she would say things like, can you please study in the living room so the light isn't on in the bedroom all night? But nothing helped. And ultimately nothing changed. And then, a couple of months into the semester, the roommate came home one day. And she had purchased a brand new Celine Dion CD. She was a huge fan of Celine Dion. And uh, she was very excited about getting the CD and... She uh, put it in her boombox and hit play. Every night in my dreams, I see you. And hit repeat. I see you. I see and left the CD playing. I see you. For 24 I hours a day. I see for the next three months. to begin. I, I don't mean to laugh, but just I never thought Celine Dion could feel scary. <laughs> like that feels scary to me. It really is. Sorry. It, OK, I'm cutting the laughter out now. It, we had to take a moment to just say that like assault by Celine Dion is like new territory. I'm still recovering here. <laughs> that is a, a really incredible story. And yeah, if Isn't it wasn't it? if it weren't so serious, it, it would be really comical. But, and, but that wasn't the end of the story. Yeah, no, it wasn't, uh, luckily. So Ashley and her other roommates debated on how they should approach this. What was appropriate to say? I think at one point I did ask her if she could turn it off. And she essentially just ignored me completely. At that point in the semester, our relationship had been reduced to communicating only when it was absolutely necessary. And apparently she did not feel that the situation required communication of any kind. So I, I really did not know what to do next. So the situation just kept going. I really did not sleep much. I ended up sleeping on the couch. A lot of the time I also slept over 
a few times at other people's rooms or homes just because I, I needed to get away from it so badly. And when she couldn't get away, she would try to block out the Celine Dion by putting on headphones and playing her own music at a higher volume. But beyond sleeping, she also couldn't study in a room. And that started to have serious consequences for her. Prior to that semester, I had been a straight-A student. I was actually there on an academic scholarship. And during that semester, I, I scored the first C I had ever received in my life in a class. And as a result of the drop in my grades, I actually lost my academic scholarship. And it forced me to delay graduation. I, I actually had to move home earlier than expected to work. And Ashley says that this situation is one of the only times in her life that she regrets. When I look back at the situation, the very first thing that comes to mind is that I should have immediately taken it to an advisor or to our resident director, to someone in a higher level of authority. I was much shyer when I was in college. I was much less willing to enter into conflict. And I think I was so conflict-averse that the idea of continuing to live with someone who I thought, if I take this to someone higher than me, it's going to seem like I'm a snitch. I think there is a little bit of an attitude in school where, you know, if you're the person who talks to the teacher or talks to the RD or talks to, you know, the person in authority, that there's a negative connotation there because suddenly oh, well, she's the one that will run to, you know, tell on all of us if we're, if we're trying to get away with stuff. And so this isn't just about this situation. It's a, a larger issue of, I don't know if I really want to rock the boat there. But, says Ashley, she's only got one piece of advice for the young person who submitted the original question. Rock the boat. <laughs> don't be afraid to rock the boat. What is the priority here? And in you know, if you're in college, the social things, you know, making our friends happy, you know, connecting with people or being popular or being well-liked is really, it feels like the most important thing when in reality, accomplishing our goals as students are equally or, you know, if not more important in that situation. And anything that hinders that or, you know, makes that impossible needs to be addressed in favor of your roommate liking you a little bit more <laughs> before. I have a reaction. I've got a couple like react. I feel like I feel like you're gonna have the good solid advice on this, and I'm gonna play like the the crazy reaction. Why not just break the CD? Why not throw it out? Take it out of the boombox? I mean, like. You know, I feel like my blood would have boiled. I, why not? Well, and I hear, and it sounds so reasonable when you say it. And right. I, and I hear in the way Ashley describes this situation and describes her young self as being so conflict averse. Yeah. That that really wasn't a possibility in her own mind. It wasn't one of the the range of options that that seemed possible. And kudos to her because that would be bad behavior against bad behavior, which we always say is is never a positive outcome. So I I appreciate mm. the fact that she didn't do that. But when I was listening to her, my brain was just like. Like, break the CD. (laughs) Absolutely, because Ashley's right. There is a a question of etiquette here that I think will help us get beyond that conflict aversion. (laughs) One thing I was happy to hear about that I hadn't realized when we had first received this answer is that uh, there were other roommates involved in this, too. Mm-hmm. So they did have a strength in numbers, but it still wasn't enough to to counteract this one roommate's kind of obsessive behaviors. Yeah. 
Something that we often say at yeah. the Emily Post Institute is that safety trumps etiquette. Yes. <laughs> if someone at the table is choking, it's okay to knock a chair over to get to them <laughs> and give them the Heimlich maneuver. Yes. Or if you're choking, that it's okay to let people know. You don't just sit there and suffer in silence. You, you indicate that you're – safety trumps etiquette. This is a situation where I think that, that the concerns about etiquette, about not rocking the boat, as Ashley said, are starting to interfere with your personal safety and your safety as a student, your safety as a, a human who values um, a living environment where you can feel comfortable. Shelter is part of, of – it's one of the essential needs that yeah. we all have in life. And if your access to shelter, <laughs> a place where you can be safe and get a good night's sleep is, is starting to be jeopardized, that's a safety concern. It's also protecting her academic scholarship. It's protecting yep. what she's at school to do. I love that you I love that you label it as a safety concern because I don't think people would immediately go there. And yet it is a way that young people should feel empowered to and to safety trumps etiquette. And, yeah. and another way you can think about that is that oftentimes when we're talking about resolving a difficult situation that you can return to consideration, respect, and honesty. And I think one of the important parts of the respect principle is that you have respect for others, but that you also have respect for yourself and for the things around you. And it's a fundamental part of all good etiquette that I think it's important that we remember because it's going to help us decide when a situation where is no longer just an etiquette offense. This is not a situation where you want to be careful and moderate your response you need to find a solution here. And if your roommate's not going to help you find it, then there are places you can go and those next steps are really important and they're, they, they're appropriate to be taken. And I think it's the compilation of any of these things on their own, with the exception of actually playing Celine Dion on repeat like that, which I do think kind of becomes some kind of audible torture. But I think that not because Celine Dion is bad, not at all, but just because of the repetition. Let's just clarify that, okay? But I think it's like, you know, Sometimes you do get a roommate who's really fussy about the decorating and you let it slide because everything else is. But all of these things compiling together start to become the abusive nature of someone and the controlling nature of someone else on these these roommates. And even if it wasn't those things, even if it wasn't abuse or controlling, if it was somebody who was so unaware that their their actions had nothing to do with you, they were just so self-absorbed or so invested in their own studies, they weren't paying attention, couldn't hear, didn't hear when you brought these things up in a way that impacted them, I still think you're okay to, to escalate. To and take to, it to, to the to next level. I think so too. It's, it's that level of as long as you have dealt with it by talking with the person, if it doesn't change things, take it to the next level. It's just like she said, don't worry about rocking that boat. You've already tried to play nice and do it mano y mano. You know what I mean? <laughs> Man, we just want to say thank you, Ashley, for writing in and sharing your story with us. I mean, it it's so important for young people to feel empowered for that respective self that Dan spoke of. Thank you, Ashley, both for writing in and for taking the time to join us and to, to elaborate and expand on, on your initial communication. It's a, a perfect postscript. It really gives us an opportunity to dig a little deeper into something that's really important. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Each week, we celebrate good behavior by highlighting the story of someone who has experienced a good turn. This week's Etiquette Salute comes from Capitola. My name is Capitola Anderson. I'm a early childhood teacher in the Washington, D.C. area. And I have an Etiquette Salute regarding a snowstorm in January. My fiancé and I were actually at a tasting for a caterer for our wedding that night. And they had forecasted 
like a, a light dusting of snow, but nothing that would cause roads to be bad enough that you'd have to stay home. Um, so we had made the decision to go along with the rest of the city, but apparently they hadn't treated the roads at all. So by the time we left the tasting, the roads were already pretty dicey, and we were like an hour from home. It just kept coming down, kept getting worse, and we made it through the highway because there was enough traffic there to keep things cleared. But once we got off the highway and onto the fairly large road that leads to our neighborhood, it just became icy and impassable. There was a very definitive moment at which I knew we were not going to make it home. I was already trying to figure out which route would get us through the least hills when we hit a block where my brakes just were not working. I was only going about five miles an hour, but it was still not safe. And then we watched several cars in front of us, each in turn, just skid out and hit the rail right in front of us. And I knew that we were just going to have to pull over. Luckily, we were able to avoid crashing on the particular sheet of ice that I had seen everybody else hitting, and we pulled into the next parking lot that we found, which was like a joint parking lot between a 7-Eleven and a Pizza Hut. We began by walking into the 7-Eleven, and so we asked the people working there if it was possible to leave our car there um, without getting towed that night, but they weren't willing or able to help us. Apparently, the tower was an outside contractor, and their shift was going to end in about an hour, so there was nothing really that they could do. Honestly, I thought I was going to be spending the night in my car, even though I was only about a mile, mile and a half from home, but my fiancé suggested that we try the Pizza Hut, and the cashier there referred us to the manager, who told us that he had just come back from trying to deliver a pizza. He was actually on the phone with a customer explaining that the pizza wasn't going to make it uh, when we walked in. He listened to us, he agreed with us, and um, he said he didn't see anybody getting towed tonight given the state of the roads, and he offered to write us a note to put on the dashboard that said that he'd given us permission to stay there for the night and to please not tow us until we came back the next morning. It felt pretty awesome to know that he was hearing us and trying to help us out. It was such a common sense small thing that he did that made such a huge difference in our night, and then the next morning we were able to get up and go back and get the car and <laughs> poor folks at 7-Eleven uh, when we went in to buy coffee the next morning when we came to get our car it turned out that the night shift hadn't been able to get home because they were still there poor guys I was so relieved at the time I didn't catch it but his note was signed Mr. Smith like we thanked him from the bottom of our hearts because honestly he didn't have to do it you know and it was just him going a little bit further to help someone out in a storm I did email both the store and corporate Pizza Hut, as well as you guys, and I just hope that someone somewhere tells him how much of a difference he made for us that night. Part of being an early childhood teacher is I spend a lot of time praising things. <laughs> I was like, this guy needs credit. That's so awesome. I just, I mean, coming from a land where we've all had that happen to us at some point in the winter time, it does, it makes a big difference when all of a sudden the regular systems you're used to aren't in place and you have to figure something out. And I love that they had the forethought to think, what if we get towed? What if, what if towing services are going to use this to their advantage and, and pull a lot of cars, you know? That night, I think that it's and, and not just to their advantage, but because it's what they've been hired and contracted to do. But I think it's just so wonderful. And you can hear the uh, appreciation in Capitola's voice when she says, like, this made a difference and this made it easier for us during an already stressful situation. So bravo, Mr. Smith. Thanks, Capitola, for taking the time to send that in and also for recording a little message for our show. Well, now, wasn't that better? 
Look at the effect of a little politeness. And thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to everyone who sent us a question this week or who shared a comment, a question, or a concern about the show. You can send us your questions, comments, or salutes to email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voice message at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. Help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. It's one of the best things you can do to support Awesome Etiquette. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show was produced by the incredible Hans Buta. We'll be right back.